You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, welcome, church, this weekend. We're glad that you are here continuing our series together with us. If you've been with us this summer, over the last number of weeks, we have been studying the Gospels, uh, different parts of the Gospels where Jesus says, follow me. It's an invitation to follow him. It's an invitation to count the cost or to consider the worth or to follow in obedience. And today as well, we come to another passage where Jesus says, follow me. And so if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn them on or open them to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is our passage today, verses 23 through 26. Today in our passage, we're going to see how Jesus says, my life leads to death, and that death for you should lead to much fruit in your life in you. In this passage, we see how Jesus' death for us leads to fruit in us. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 12 today. John is often divided into uh, two halves. The Gospel of John, the first half, chapters 1 through 12, are, are collections of stories and sayings of Jesus where he's performing signs. It's called the book of signs. As we look at how Jesus proves he's the Son of God. And then we come to chapter 13 through the end of John's gospel, chapter 20, where Jesus is, is, is showing the wonders of his life. It's often called the book of wonders or the book of, of glory, as Jesus is showing how glory is being given to God the Father through how he is giving his life. And so our chapter today, chapter 12, it comes at the climax or the turning part of Jesus' life and his ministry and how everything is set in motion. Up until this point, people are seeing the signs and wonders of Jesus, and, and they're intrigued. They want to know more. They want to see more. But also in this moment in John chapter 12, there's growing masses of people who are beginning to hate this Jesus. They want nothing to do with him. But there's also, at the same time, multitudes of people who are saying, I want to follow and seek this Jesus. And so let's read our passage together to see some of the characters of our story and what God will speak to us today. Let's begin reading in verse 20 for some context. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's go back to verse 20. Passage begins today, a little bit of context where John records that some Greeks are seeking Jesus. It says that they are among those going up to worship during the Passover. So who are, we might ask, who are these some Greeks and why is that important for our story today? 
Well, these some Greeks in verse 20 were likely people who were um, God-fearing and, and maybe lived in the region. Maybe they spoke Greek, but they lived in the area around Galilee, and they were interested enough in the Jewish faith that they said, let's go and watch and be bystanders of whatever's happening in Jerusalem with these Jewish people. They were people who said, we want to go and, and just observe this Passover celebration that everyone is flocking towards. But because they were not Jewish, these people could not partake in the actual celebration of Passover. They would be refused or permitted to enter any further than the court of the Gentiles, they called it, because they were punishable by death if they were to pass by. This is probably around the temple where they maybe had a Gandalf the Grey standing there saying, you shall not pass. But the Gentiles or the Greeks would look in and watch and observe what these Jewish people were doing. But more importantly of who these Greek people were or, or what they wanted was the fact that John says in verse 20 that some Greeks are wanting to come and see Jesus. They want to come and interview and ask questions and inquire and be with Jesus. I think as one commentator helpfully notes, um, look at verse 19, what happens there. Now, up until verse 19, Jesus has raised Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus was dead for four days, and then he comes back to life again, and people are spreading the word like wildfather. Did you hear what Jesus did? He raised Lazarus from the dead. And so word is spreading, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, begin plotting, how do we kill Jesus? We can have no more of this. And that leads into the story in chapter 12 of the triumphal entry as people flock the streets. They hear Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for Passover and they wave palm branches. They lay their cloaks on the road as Jesus rides into the city on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy. But more importantly, they herald Jesus as king. And so in verse 19, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who should be embracing Jesus, they say to one another, you see... You see that we are gaining nothing? Look, even the world has gone after him. And so then we come to verse 20, and we see that Greeks want to come and see Jesus. The Jewish people reject their Messiah. And now as a turning point in the ministry of Jesus, we have these Greeks who are non-Jewish people. They are really Gentiles, they represent the rest of the world. The Jewish people rejected their Savior, so now the world is coming to say, we want to know who your Jesus is. We want to see him. We want to watch him. We want to speak with this apparent king. Now, where these Greeks are from, we don't know in the Bible. It doesn't tell us. And, and why exactly do they want to speak with Jesus? We don't know that either. Maybe how much do they know about Jesus? We don't even know that. But what we do know in this part of the story is that in these verses 21 and 22, the moment the Greeks inquire to see Jesus, everything in Jesus' life comes to a stop. It comes to a halt. And Jesus' answer to his disciples in the verses that we're going to look at begin to set the wheel in motion for the final events of Jesus' life. As Jesus is about to live through the passion narrative and, and to embrace suffering for you and for me. And so the Greeks come and they think they have an in with Philip. Philip and Andrew then go to Jesus. You can see in those verses, verse 23 and 24, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. The hour has come. The hour has come. Now the hour 
is first referenced in John's gospel in chapter 2. If you remember the story, the wedding in Cana, it was Jesus' first earthly miracle. And prompted by his mother to perform a miracle to turn the water into wine for the bride and the bridegroom, Jesus, maybe a little disgruntled, says to his mother, Mother, my hour has not yet come. And this reference to the hour is continually put off through the Gospels until now, apparently, in verse 23, Jesus says, the hour has come. I mean, this is the perfect example of, are we there yet? Jesus, has the hour come? No. Has the hour come? No. Has the hour come? No. Jesus, has the hour come? Yes. Sorry. Jesus just said, look in verse 23, the hour has come. The hour has come for what? Look at what Jesus says to his disciples. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus, what does it mean for the Son of Man to be glorified? At this moment in this verse here, in 24, Jesus is about to say to them, this is why I have come. This is the very purpose of my life. At this moment, it's, it's exa- exactly that moment before your race, before you, you take off, you hear the gunshot telling you it's the beginning. It's that moment before you turn the ignition key in your vehicle about to back out of your driveway to set out on your family vacation. It's that moment before you put your pen down on your exam as you're about to write your final paper of your program. It's that moment uh, on Monday morning before camp, before the kids and youth come streaming into the building. It's that quietness. It's that moment in the back hallways of our church when you hear the worship team counting down before service. Three, two, one, Jesus, before they come lead us in worship. Okay. It's time. Let's do this. Do what, Jesus? What he says in verse 24, Jesus tells us what is about to happen. The hour has come for what? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus, you're going to die? Did did I hear you correct? Jesus, you, you, Jesus, are going to die. You can't die. You are supposed to rescue us. You're supposed to save us. You're the one the world's been waiting for. Jesus, you are the Son of God, remember. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the King. Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the Holy One, the Redeemer, the Savior. Jesus, you are wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus, you are Jesus Church, do you know that it was the purpose of Jesus' life as he was born to die? Do you know that it was the plan of God in verse 24 all along? Do you believe that this had to take place for you and for me even to have the option of following Jesus? And so we see in these two verses here, as Jesus replies to his disciples, we see that, that an opportunity is, is before us to look and to say, wow. Maybe to marvel and to say, through Jesus' death, there would be much fruit. And so point number one today in these verses, we see how Jesus' death led to much fruit for me. Jesus' death led to much fruit for me. This was the way that God would save the world. This was the plan of God from before the foundations of the world, before the Garden of Eden. 
Because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin was death. The consequence of sin was death. And and while we were still sinners, Christ comes and dies for us. Why? Because John said in chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in his death, whoever believed in Jesus' death would not die, but would see the fruit of eternal or everlasting life. So church, what is the much fruit that Jesus is referring to? If the grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, what is the fruit of Jesus' life then? Well, this week I I just took a minute to write down as many things as I could think of that happens when we put our faith and want to follow Jesus and believe his death for us. In Jesus, we are forgiven. We are washed white as snow. We are made clean. We are rescued. We are given a second chance. We are set free. We are made whole. We are redeemed. We're part of God's family. We have a hope. We have a helper. We have a father. We have peace. We have gifts. We get new bodies. Church, we have an eternal future because of the death of Jesus for us. We can clap for that, can't we? Thank you, Jesus. All because Jesus dies for us. All because this had to happen for you and for me to say, I want to follow Jesus. This summer at our kids' camp, uh, on day one, we presented the kids with a story where we helped them understand the story of the gospel. On day one, the kids were introduced to a, a space crew that had been recruited for a special mission from Captain Jay. And part of this mission was to enjoy the beautiful creation, to always obey Captain Jay as the most important, but also to make sure they wouldn't push this big red button on their spacecraft. Well, on day two, their inquiry and their desire to want to know what's going to happen or what shall become of us leads them to push the button. The remaining days of camp, the kids saw how the oxygen on the spacecraft was depleting. And the crew tried everything that they could to be able to save themselves, but ultimately realized on on Friday, on day five, that it's only Jesus who can come to rescue you. It's only Captain Jay that would give their life for the crew. This is what's happening in the verse. This is what Jesus says to all of us, that salvation is only made possible through his death. This is the only way that he would rescue us. He did what you and I could never do on our own. He was the person. He lived the life. He took the place that you and I could never take. And yet the irony in God's unfathomable plan here in verse 24 as he tells his disciples is that in order to save us, he would die. That in order through death, there would be life. So the irony is that Through death, there is apparently much fruit. Jesus' disciples would have understood what he was saying. I want to show you on the screen what Jesus is leading towards in this verse. Jesus says there needs to be death before there is fruit. Just like a a grain of wheat needs to die into the earth, if it chooses not to die to bear fruit, then it's a lonely life. It's a life of loneliness. Jesus is saying, no, the seed needs to go into the ground. It needs to give itself for the harvest. Because if that seed dies the death that it needs to die, then what comes from that is much fruit. What comes from that is life. Jesus was telling his disciples, I need to now turn my life into a sacrifice for much fruit. Yet there's irony in this, that in death there leads to life. I want to show you just the impact of 
what Jesus was saying in our story today. This is some wheat, courtesy of a local farmer. What Jesus is saying is from one grain of wheat, one seed that goes into the ground and dies, a plant of wheat comes up at harvest time. And on each plant, there's on average five different branches or arms or stalks. At the end of each of these um, branches is a head or a spike. And on each spike, there is on average 35 to 50 seeds per head. Here, I'll sprinkle some of them here for you. All these seeds go to the ground. Jesus says, I need to give my life as a seed of grain of wheat into the plan of God for salvation because look at this. Through one seed is heads, is 250 seeds or new plants. Jesus' disciples would have heard them describe this and say, yeah, we know what you're saying, Jesus. If you do this, there will be a harvest through the life and death of Jesus Christ. You know, for us in our lives, we have a maybe more modern parable of what this looks like. It takes this shape. You can see what this is, right? I mean, we all understand the kind of fruit that comes from something like this. Your child picks one of these in your backyard, which you thought was immaculate and green, and they call your attention, Dad, look what I picked, a flower for you, and you look over to what they're holding in their hand, and the whole world stops. Nobody move. Nobody breathe. Your child holds this, and you know exactly what happens if this comes to a complete death. These seeds go into the ground. You are doomed. <laughs> but the point is, is that we understand that, that in some things in our life, there is life after death. We understand that as Jesus says to us in this verse here, Jesus, you had to make a way for me. Jesus, this had to be your plan because if you did not die, there would be no other way. In a way, we are like that seed that dies alone because Jesus' life, death, and resurrection never leads to much fruit for us. And so that is why the person who looks to Jesus' death in this verse here in verse 24 says, Jesus, if that's what it costs you, it's so worth it to follow you because you gave everything for me. That is why the follower of Jesus looks to the death of Jesus for them and says, Jesus, there is no other surpassing joy in this world than the joy or the hope of knowing you because you gave it all for me. And so if Jesus' death leads to much fruit for us, a follower of Jesus who understands this in their life is able to say, see, see now how Jesus' death is leading to much fruit in me in my life. And so point number two is Jesus' death is leading to much fruit in me. Notice this is the present tense. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus, after explaining what will happen with his life, is going to explain, this is now what I expect of those who follow me. And we're going to look at six characteristics of fruit that should be evident in every follower of Jesus should they choose to follow him. So let's begin with the first two together. In verse 25, look what Jesus says. Jesus says something about losing life and keeping it. And in verse 25, we are going to see that the first fruit that should be true for you and for me in our lives is the fruit of what we're going to call denial. It's a life of self-denial that says, Jesus, I'd give anything. I'd give this life to have him. I'd give this life to have you, Jesus. It's so worth it. So let's look at what Jesus says in this verse. Whoever loves his life loses it, 
and whoever hates this life in this world will keep it. Here's what Jesus is saying on the screen for us. Those who love this life in this world will in fact be the ones for all of eternity who have lost their life. And he continues the statement, says, secondly, what happens is those who hate this life in this world, they will keep it for eternity. But maybe, maybe hate is a strange word from us. How can Jesus expect us to hate our lives? What Jesus is saying this, the person who doesn't prioritize this life more than the life of following Jesus is the one who keeps it. This wasn't the first time Jesus talked like this. Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, they must hate their father, their mother, their brother, their sister, their spouse, their children. He wasn't implying us to actually hate people in our lives. But in both of these cases, he says, weigh the cost and see how much you desire to follow me. Jesus, there's nothing else in my life that as I do and as I live that says, Jesus, you're worth it all. There's nothing that compares to you. But the struggle for us in our life as we weigh the cost of self-denial is, is maybe it looks like this. It's, it's more of a scale in our lives that says, oh, but Jesus, there's just so many things about me that I love. I love my time. I love my family. I love my things. I love my vehicle. I love my vacation. I love my investments. I love my retirement. I love my um, finances and, and what I'm going to get in the future. I love my home. God, there's so many things that, that I struggle with as I say they're just really important to me. Jesus is trying to help us understand that if, if we love me now, that equals a life that is lost for all of eternity. What Jesus is saying, rather, is the scales need to be flipped and Jesus needs to be the most important. He's saying, I gave my life for you. I gave everything for you. How can you not weigh the cost and say, yes, Jesus, you are way more important in every area of my life. It's the follower of Jesus that lives with self-denial to say, there are things in my life that I do see as gifts from God. But compared to Knowing Jesus, I would deny all of those things if I could have him. So let's just stop today and let's just look on our own lives and let's just do a heart check. As we look at that scale, let's do a heart check. Is there fruit in your life of self-denial? Are we living in such a way that people would look into our lives and say, wow, wow, I can see that there is nothing else in their life that would tip the scales more than their love for Jesus. There's no other higher priority in that person's life than their love for Jesus. Nothing else in their life competes for the top spot that belongs to Jesus. The reason why self-denial is, is necessary is because, as one author says, to relinquish one's hold on life and to give it up, it's necessary or the key to participation in the kingdom. It was necessary for Jesus to die so that we could have life. And likewise, Jesus says, the follower of me needs to understand that they are to die to self, take up their cross as I am doing, and to follow me as the most important thing in the scales of their life. Now notice that those who do this in this verse, Jesus says, are the ones who keep their life. And at the end of verse 25, there's three words that I had not yet read. Those who keep their lives because they love Jesus more than anything else in their life, look what it says. It's actually those who find it eternally. 
And so verse 25 tells us also that the follower of Jesus also has the fruit in their life, the much fruit, and secondly, the area of a date. I know I have a future with him. Maybe you can see where these words are going. They all start with D. But it's the person who's following Jesus saying, I have a future forever with my Jesus. I know that my hope is eternal. That's what Paul writes in Philippians. He says that followers of Jesus ought to live as citizens of heaven because this earth is not their home. That's why he says to live is Christ, but to die is gain because I get to be with Jesus. That is what my heart wants. That is how my life is lived out. I know that I have a date with Jesus. A few months ago, I had the privilege of joining some of our wonderful seniors in our church for our early morning Wednesday golf round. And it's kind of an annual thing. They invite a number of our staff to come join them for some fellowship and to kind of get to know them a little bit, to hear what God's doing in their life. And so a number of us went out. I was paired up in a foursome with some of uh, these seniors in our church. And after our round, we were sitting out on the patio, enjoying some coffee and fellowship and sharing stories. And And a few of them began to talk about one of their brothers in our church who was struggling in some health issues. He was an older gentleman, and he he was running into some health issues where they weren't sure what was going to happen next. They said he was sick, and he was very weak. But even in the struggle of health in that moment, I could hear their conversation as they said to one another, yeah, but, but I can't wait for that day when I finally get to see Jesus, when I get to look him face to face when I get to spend all of eternity with him. And there's this moment or pause of reflection in their lives as they're reminiscing that time. One of the gentlemen in a thick Scottish accent spoke up and he said, you know, I kind of hope I'll still be here when the trumpet sounds. I think it'll be quite beautiful. And I was sitting there thinking anything you could have said right now would have sounded beautiful like that. But church, this is what it looks like to live a life that knows they have a date or a future with Jesus. You look around in the, in the trials of life, in the health, and you say, but, but this life is not all I live for because I have an eternal future and hope in my Jesus. I have the fruit of a date with Jesus in my life. And so therefore, let's do a hope check today. Related to this fruit in our lives, let's do a hope check What are you hoping in? Are you living for the temporal, the here and now? Or maybe you're living with the fruit of a date with Jesus in your life where people would look to you and say, wow, because of Jesus' death on the cross, I see that they know they get to spend forever with him. The next two verses go hand in hand. Verse 26 introduces us to the next fruit evident in the follower of Jesus. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And therefore, a follower of Jesus also has much fruit in in their lives in the area of what we're going to call, thirdly, devotion. It's the life that is lived out or the life that says, I want to serve him. Because in this verse, we see how Jesus had the expectation that those who truly wanted to follow him were those who would give their lives of service to him. If you were with us last week, we saw this with Tim in Matthew chapter 4, where we saw Jesus' earliest disciples being called to a life of service to follow him. And, And we saw how these were just ordinary people. These were people that got over their barrier of fear of what would happen 
They got over their barrier of finances and family. They gave their lives in that moment to say, Jesus, I will serve you. And as they began to serve with Jesus, I think they began to see firsthand how Jesus didn't just talk this way, but he lived this way. They saw how this son of God had come not to be served, but to serve. Now, maybe some of us say in our lives, like the disciples could have said, well, I don't know if I can serve like that. Well, I, don't, I, I don't know if I know how to serve in that way. You know, the reality is that some of us just learn to serve differently. Some of us learn to serve verbally. We need to be told and explained how to serve in a particular area or way. Some of us learn visually. We need to be shown how to serve. But the beautiful example Jesus gives us within the Bible is, is hear as I say and do as I do. He helps those of us that want to hear it as we read his words, as he shares with us, here's how you live your life of service. But he also exemplifies that. Here is an example of how I live my life to serve those around me as well. If you remember in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus was um, talking about a future day when he will gather his disciples together, those who follow him. And he talks about all the things that these followers have done to serve him. And he tells them, he says, when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Jesus says, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. And then to the surprise of some, Jesus says, the reason some of you followers don't remember doing those things for me is because you never lived your life of service for those around you in serving others. So the life that wants to serve Jesus might ask and say, how do I serve him? Where do I start? What do I do? Matthew 25 is a great way to start. Some hospitable ways to love and care for those around you as you serve Jesus with your life. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we also have this beautiful picture of how Jesus says followers of Jesus also care for the, the poor and the orphan and the widow. In our day and age, that could mean caring for the refugee, the immigrant, the person you always see on that same street corner. It could even mean caring or serving people in your own church. So hopefully you've heard by now that September 8, Hope Bible Church is launching four services. They're all going to be on Sundays. If you need more details about that, you can check out the webpage about some of the vision of where we feel God's leading us. But with a fourth service, as you heard in the announcements as well, there's more opportunities for maybe some of you to say, wow, here is a perfect way for me to start. Here's the place that I can begin serving Jesus with my life. I want to show you a couple of these examples. Now, as the pastor of kids, I didn't want to prioritize the order of where you could serve here, but in, in no particular order, here's one area where God might be calling you to give of your life to say, I want to serve children in this church. I want to give them my time to be able to pour into them so that they would be the next generation of young people that would rise up and follow Jesus. Maybe some of you are feeling called to serve in connections. This is a huge ministry in our church. Everywhere from the parking lot to the front doors to the people that usher you to your seats to the people that answer you questions out in the lobby after services or help you get connected in ministry. Maybe God is calling you to serve in this 
area because of this practical way of four services. There's so many other different ways, but maybe God is calling you this season to say, I want to serve him there. Because Jesus says that those who follow me are those that serve me. And if you look in Jesus' life, there's no contradiction in what he says and what he does. Jesus never came to his disciples and says, you must live your life of service. And then they look at Jesus and say, but you, you're not doing that. For example, the next chapter in John, Jesus serves his disciples in such a humble way where one night after dinner, he, he bends down and he grabs water and he washes his disciples' feet. It's to the shock of his disciples. Washing our feet, is, that's reserved for the servant. That's reserved for someone lower down the social ladder. Not you, Jesus. But Jesus tells them, I need to do this. You will understand one day why I need to do this. I want to serve you. So let's do give time check today. How are we doing in this area? Is there any fruit in your life in the area of serving Jesus? As you follow him, you are serving him as well. Or maybe perhaps you're here today and you feel like God is calling me to begin serving him. Loved ones, the person who claims to follow Jesus must have the fruit of devotion as they serve Jesus. But notice the next part of this verse as Jesus continues. The second part of this statement says that those who then serve Jesus also need to follow him. And so this is the fruit of what we're going to call dedication. It's the life lived out of the person following Jesus who proves with their life, I want to follow Jesus. If you remember the short tune sung in Disney's Peter Pan decades ago. The lost boys of Peter Pan would march around together and they would sing a tune like this. We're following the leader, the leader, the leader. We're following the leader wherever he may go. Go. Do you know that Jesus' first disciples went and followed Jesus everywhere? If you read the gospel accounts, if Jesus went to Galilee, they went to Galilee. If they went to Judea, Jesus led them to Judea. If Jesus stops to be with people, the disciples stop to be with people. If Jesus continued on, the only time they parted with Jesus is when Jesus sent them out to a place. They went with Jesus everywhere. So here's a question we can ask ourselves today. Where do I see Jesus around me in my life that I feel like I'm missing out on? Let me ask that again. Where do we see Jesus around us in our life that we feel like we're missing out on? Maybe some of us look to the relationships around us and we feel like God is doing an amazing thing in our friends and we're wondering why. Or, or maybe we are hearing about God doing amazing things in a, in a particular ministry here in our church. Maybe you are hearing about how God is working in amazing ways and ministries around the world that our church gets to be a part of, like Romania and, and Lebanon and Haiti and Kenya and even locally here in Hamilton. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you cry out to God and you say, God, why do I not get to be a part of what you're doing in all of these areas? Maybe God has been calling you to follow him, but you just aren't following. Maybe some of us stand with our arms out and we say, okay, God, I want to follow you under my time, 
my conditions, on my schedule, in between my kids and my appointment, or whatever all the other things we're doing, and God is saying to you, no, I just want you to die to self and all the things that you say are me. And I want you to follow me here where I want to do amazing fruit in you. Maybe to encourage you today, see where God is working and go after him. Look around you in your life. See where God is working. Don't wait around. Go after him. Follow him. The active pursuit of, of following where God is leading us in our lives around this world is what here at our church we call go time. Sometimes God calls us to be on mission going in our own families with our children. Sometimes he calls us to be on mission uh, in our neighborhoods or our workplaces or sometimes on a plane around the world. So let's do go time check today. How's the fruit of following Jesus through dedication in your life? Maybe some of us are seeing today that God is leading you in a particular area and you need to follow him there. In the next part of verse 26, we see something about followers of Jesus that revolves around wanting to be or desiring to be in his presence. Look what Jesus says. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And so the next fruit in our lives that should be true of every follower of Jesus is the fruit of what we'll call dependence. It's the life lived out that proves or says, I want to be with him as much as I can. A few chapters earlier in John chapter 6, Jesus does this miracle. He, he feeds more than 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish, and people marvel. And then the next day, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and I can satisfy you in your life more than any bread or any drink could ever satisfy you. Jesus' followers are listening to him say this, and they're confused. They're wondering, how is this possible that you, Jesus, can satisfy me? How can we be so dependent on you for everything that we don't feel like we need anything else in our life? And Jesus explains to them and says that it's through faith that God gives you to say, yes, I believe Jesus is all I need. That's how it's possible. And the story finishes by some of Jesus' disciples listening to him and they say, what? I don't, if that's the cost, Jesus, it's not worth it. It says they turned and they stopped following Jesus that day. And Jesus looks to his 12 disciples and he says, are you too going to go away? If you remember the words of Peter, Peter looks at Jesus and says, Lord, to where will we go? For you have the words of eternal life. A follower of Jesus knows that there's no other place, Jesus, that I would rather be than in your presence, dependent on you for every single thing or area of my life. So let's just go right to God time check for all of us today. How's your time with Jesus? Would others look into your life or perceive and how you're living your life, the fruit of your life in this way, and say that is a person who is so dependent on Jesus in their life, it's so obvious to me. Or maybe you're like me, if I'm being candid, and, and you find like the summer is one of the hardest times to keep a regular routine to spend with Jesus. 
You would just say, I don't, I don't know. It's, just, it's hard in the summer to find time to be regularly in the Bible with you, God. It's regularly prayer with you that's a struggle because it gets lost in the vacation. It gets lost in the trips or the things that we have to do for our children. It gets lost in all of my summer plans. It gets lost in, in suntanning at the beach or, or driving down waterfront. You can fill in the blank of what steals our time and robs it from God. God, would you help me in my life see how much I do need you? God, remind me that you gave your life for me so that I could have life. And God, maybe even in your grace, would you allow us to see much fruit in this area as we depend on you for everything? So maybe in these verses today, you're starting to realize that following Jesus is a full-time job. Maybe some of you are looking to what Jesus is expecting of you as a follower of him, not perfect, but at least striving in these areas, and you're saying, following Jesus is a life sentence. I want you to come to the end of verse 26 for a promise that he gives us. It's our final fruit. In verse 26, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so the final fruit that is evident in the life of someone who follows Jesus is what we'll call a deposit. It's the life lived out that says, Jesus, I know that I will be taken care of by you. As you live your life, you say, I know I'll be taken care of by God. I have nothing to fear or nothing to worry about. Loved ones, if you have put your faith in Jesus' death, life, and resurrection for you, you have nothing to fear. Do you believe today that God has you? That as a child of God, he's watching over you. He knows your life. He knows every trial you go through. He gives you a promise and says, I'll never leave you. God sees your cancer. God sees your children. God hears your cries. You are his. Maybe some of you today just need to rest in that truth. You just need to rest in whatever season or trial you're in and just believe with a fruit in your life to say, I know, I know that God will take care of me. There's ways that God takes care of us in our life right now. There's ways that God will take care of us. Right now, that might look like a home, family, food, friends, vacation, finances, work, church, whatever you want to call it. But hear this, none of those things need to be true for God to prove to you that he will take care of you. But here's this, if any of those things are true for you in your life, that's proof that God is taking care of you, that he knows what you need, that he's got you. But ultimately, church, more than any of those trivial earthly things, God took care of your sin. God paid the price that was of utmost importance. And that's why Jesus in this passage calls us to faithfully follow him. I will give my life for you and expect that you want to follow me because of all the fruit that came through that sacrifice for you. When Jesus ascended up into heaven in the book of Acts, he told his disciples that he wouldn't leave them alone. He said, I'm going to give God the Holy Spirit as a helper, a deposit, a guarantee of your faith for you and your life as God helps you live right now in this world, but as you wait for all of eternity when I will come back one day. And so God doesn't promise within the Bible that we will get our full reward now. 
Therefore, we can't live our lives in a way that says, God, I expect you to give me the full down payment right now. God says, I've given you myself in your life, the Holy Spirit, but your full reward comes one day if you follow me faithfully. Because that's the day that we all long for when finally face to face with Jesus, we hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the kingdom. But God does in some ways show us how he's taking care of us. God does bless us and show us ways in our lives that he also has us right now. But if we were to do a motivation check today in this area of fruit in our lives, how are we living our life? Are we living our life with the fruit of a deposit that's evident that we know that our future is with Jesus, that we know that God has us, that we know that God will honor us for following him faithfully? Sometimes we want the fruit now. Sometimes God says the fruit will come later. Ultimately, God says the full reward or fruit will come when you see me face to face and I call you home. But sometimes that looks like after years of praying for that family member, they finally come to faith and follow Jesus. Sometimes that means after years of praying, your wayward child comes home. Sometimes that means after evangelism over and over and over, the coworker finally says, yes, I'll come to church with you. But it starts with a life that says, God, I'm going to follow you and be faithful in following you in every area of my life. There's a story about a man named Edward Kimball. Um, Edward Kimball wanted to serve God with his life. He wanted to follow Jesus. So he looked in his local church and he got involved in children's ministry. Kimball loved serving with the children in his church so much that he decided he would devote his life midweek and begin programs to, to follow up with all of these children that he ministered to on the weekend. This was in a time when children still worked with their families, and so Kimball would go to the workplace of one particular child who needed a little extra love and care and effort and patience. But he presented the gospel over and over again, and one day that child gave his life to Jesus and said, yes, I want to follow him. That child's name was D.L. Moody. Well, D.L. Moody felt the call in his life from God to quit his job and to begin traveling around the world preaching the gospel of Jesus. And the story goes that D.L. Moody one day was in the U.S. preaching the gospel, and a man named Wilbur Chaplin heard the presentation of the gospel and said, yes, I want to follow that Jesus too. Wilbur felt the call of God in his life to also travel the world and preach the gospel. And one day, listening to Wilbur Chaplin share about Jesus and the invitation to come and to follow him, a professional baseball player heard that gospel presentation and said, yes, I will follow Jesus. That baseball player's name was Billy Sunday. Well, Billy Sunday quit his professional baseball career. He devoted his life to crusades for Jesus traveling around the world. And one day, listening to Billy Sunday, a man named Mordecai Ham hears and he gives his life to following Jesus. Mordecai, too, travels the world and all throughout the U.S. preaching the gospel. And one day in Charlotte, North Carolina, while preaching the gospel, at the back of this tent meeting, some kids were gathering together, plotting how they would disrupt this service. One of the boys gathered at the back of this tent, heard Mordecai preaching the gospel, and said, I need to come back tomorrow night to hear more about this Jesus. And so the next night, this boy returns and listens to Mordecai share about Jesus. 
He hears an invitation to come forward and to give his life to following Jesus. And so this boy goes forward and puts his faith in following Jesus. That boy's name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham gave his life to following Jesus and began preaching the gospel all throughout the world. It's believed today that over 2.2 billion people heard the gospel of Jesus through the ministry of Billy Graham. All started in the life of one person who said, I will give my life for the fruit of God to serve him. Loved ones, how much, how much fruit does God want to do in your life if he began it today? Or if he continued it today? Or if we proclaimed to God, God, would you do much fruit in my life? Jesus gave his life that it would bear much fruit for us and in us. And maybe some of you are here today and you feel like God has been stirring you and calling you. You feel like God is saying, it is worth it to follow me because I gave everything for you. Maybe God's calling you to a particular area of fruit in your life to say, I don't see fruit in this area. You follow me. I want to do this fruit in your life. Maybe some of us here are like Peter today and we remember, Lord, where else will I go? You have the words of eternal life. We're going to sing a song in a moment. I want to pray as we close, but um, church, the words of this song, uh, really, it's the testimony of all of our lives. And so as we pray, I want to pray these words over us as we think about everything that Jesus has done for us, as we count the cost and realize that we have Jesus. So pray with me. Father, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life, it had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and you led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. And let my song forever be. My only boast is you. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Amen.